Hello, this is another Clinical Conversations from RCPE. Um, I'm Tina, I'm a member of the Training and Members Committee, but I'm also a geriatric reg in the west of Scotland. And today we're talking about quality improvement. Um, I'm asking questions to Dr. Greg Waddle, who's one of the geriatric consultants in the Glasgow Royal Infirmary, but is also our quality improvement lead and has done a fellowship in QMI, which I will let him explain. Hi, Tina. Um, yeah, I, I'm a consultant geriatrician, but I would say my subspecialty interest is improvement and I'm a Scottish uh, Quality and Safety Fellow. Um, that's a national programme from uh, NHS Scotland and NHS Education for Scotland that tries to basically turn uh, clinicians into leaders in quality improvement and quality theory. Okay, so I guess the first question from myself would be, what is quality improvement and how is it different from audit? Yeah, so I'll, I'll take it the other way around. If it, clinical audit is a tool of clinical governance. So when you compare current practice to a minimum acceptable standard and you're trying to identify areas of weakness and clinical audits help provide some assurances as to whether your organization is performing at an acceptable level, often comparing it to previous audits or benchmarking against you know, other organizations or other uh, departments. It's, it's really powerful, as we all know, because when performance is not up to the agreed standard, this weight, this expectation to fix it and fix it urgently, particularly as many clinical audits, audits are considered mandatory, or they're scrutinized by various kind of regulatory bodies outside your organization and groups, it, it often is extremely powerful. Quality improvement takes a kind of separate but complementary approach. And to my mind, people may disagree, um, quality improvement is when an organization really starts to employ recognized improvement methods and strategies, continually pursuing better outcomes and experiences for the people it serves. Now, what a better outcome or an experience is really depends on your context and what compromises you're having to make, but there are long recognized dimensions of quality in healthcare that are really indisputable, that there should be, care should be safe, effective, efficiently delivered in a timely and equitable way. There's no way you could have avoided hearing those terms if you're working within NHS Scotland and also that, that care is tailored around the will of the patient, that is patient-centered or person-centered. And I would also include sustainability in there too. So clinical audit, powerful tool of governance used to assure that minimum standards are being met, whereas quality improvement is the systematic approach to achieve better outcomes and experiences. Is that about, I think that about answers it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess we as trainees, we all need to do quality improvement or audits as part of our training and just what's how would you go about planning a good quality improvement project yeah um most people's experience of quality improvement is probably in the form of those self-contained qi projects that were asked to do and asked to do urgently within their you know short rotations of whatever trainee is going through whatever department. And usually it's in response to some adverse event or maybe a recurring theme of complaints or some failed clinical order or whatever. And 
far and away the commonest methodology for approaching this in NHS Scotland is the model for improvement. And if you've heard people talking about testing change ideas as part of a PDSA cycle, that's what they're trying to apply. And there's lots of preparation needed at the, you know, if you're trying, before you start trying new ideas. Um, but I can suggest that some of the most useful things you can do is ask your team some tough questions. Um, my first question would be, ask what is it that we're trying to achieve? I mean, this is the key question of any quality improvement venture. You, you can't answer it on your own. You need to go out and speak to those directly involved, including the patient. Uh, I mean, I, I think I must ask this at least once a day. You'll know this, Tina. I ask this at least once a day, which really annoys my colleagues, because whilst it is a fundamental question, it's often really difficult to answer. And so is the, the follow-up question, does it really matter? Is it a priority for those who most likely affect? If it isn't, you might need to reframe your approach altogether. The next big question is, what does excellent look like? Uh, for whatever you're trying to achieve, you need to have a vision of what excellent means. Some of that will involve having a grasp of the, the best available evidence of what works. That's what we're really comfortable with in medicine, I think, that idea of evidence-based medicine, that there is a, a body of um, uh, uh, published literature that you can boil down together and come up with an answer. But remember, those core components of quality, the idea that it's safe, efficient, timely, and person-centered may not be answered from evidence. You've got to try and agree what excellent looks like um, with the, your, your team. And uh, the final big question is, how will we know if change, if the change we make is an improvement? This is a totally um, eye-opener uh, for me when I was training um, in improvement. There's loads of ideas, a wealth of ideas, and enthusiasm for making changes. That is the commonest way that people engage me in improvement is they come to me with an idea. They want to find solutions immediately for the problem at hand, but you need to be able to demonstrate objectively that a change made is actually an improvement. A good idea does not equal an improvement. And I would say this is quite a difficult thing to do without some expertise or experience in this. And this is where you need to tap into your local QI experts to find out what is the best measure? How do you interpret the changes you want to test? Because it is quite nuanced and needs a wee bit of experience in order to get the right um, answer. There might not be one single answer. So these questions are much trickier than they sound, which is why teams often try to bypass it and start a pilot of an idea that they've had. But if you, but this is the way to avoid that kind of those trip ups, those early fails, and a way to try and make something that is sustainable over the long term. And I think this is the way that you need to approach. Uh, quality improvement rather than thinking of it as an extension of audit. I think that's often where I've gone wrong in, in certainly my foundation years of when I'm trying to plan something. What are the common... I, sorry? I just I just think it is, it's actually the, the nature of, the, of how our training is though. Things are so rapid, you don't get to figure out what's going on on the ground to make relationships and the team before you're moving on to the next place. So a lot of the time, it's not on the, the burden of the trainees to come up with um, these um, relationships and questions. It needs to be on the burden of the department that you're rotating through, but um, we need the trainees for their energy and ideas and labor, <laughs> quite frankly. <laughs> and 
What do you find are the most common QI pitfalls? Um, with that energy and enthusiasm, I think starting too big is there. You know, it doesn't matter how much planning you do, there is always learning in the doing of improvement. So you have to start small, measure frequently, and reflect on what you find. Um, this is a kind of different approach to empirical research and audit. So a lot of the time it frustrates people who are more familiar in those environments. And certainly it frustrates uh, your managers who don't understand why you're, you're not just going to scale at the beginning. But remember, all these things are trying to achieve different um, outcomes. So in, for improvement, you do not know the impact of what you're trying. You're trying something new. You need to start small, measure frequently and reflect. Um, I think the second commonest is probably um, designing an intervention or a good idea that you've had that relies on people being more attentive or working harder or being more careful. We get so many things, uh, interventions and ideas where they're just, and we'll just remind the people at the front line to do it in this way and we'll, we'll do an educational session and we'll do a poster and we'll put a badge on that and we'll just get them to do this because this is the, the correct way of doing it. And there's nearly always this like in a short-lived improvement at the beginning of a project uh, when you do that kind of capturing the energy of the moment and the focus and over that brief period of time kind of honeymoon period. But if you want it to last you need to change the infrastructure, make it impossibly easy that it adds value to the people's work that they're doing. And you, you take away those obstacles or conflicting goals that make it a pain to do. There are too many things for us to attend to in the complexity of healthcare. There is no way you can constantly ask people to attend to what you think is important uh, at that point in time um, away from their day-to-day -day jobs. Um, I guess going back to what you were saying at the beginning, is starting small measuring frequently. Mm. One thing that we see in all the wards is run charts. Mm. How do you get started with, well, firstly, what is a run chart and how do you do it and when do you do it? So I think run charts are those, you have definitely have seen them. They come very, they get a flavour of the month in terms of trying to demonstrate some kind of performance measure. That visual tool for helping teams determine how your project is performing and um, whether that changes you're making or making any improvement, that kind of thing. And it's a, it's a graph. And they're, they're super useful because um, they don't need any clever algorithms. You could learn it in about 10 minutes. You just need a pen and ability to calculate a median value from all your data and you can use it. Um, it also means that you can start collecting data straight away, that you don't need to have some clever um, data collection performer or anything like that. You can start to measure small things, sometimes not the final thing, but something to get you going, to give you some, some feedback to your team about whether the thing that you're um, trying out or exploring is making any um, difference. Do, I mean, do you think everyone's familiar with a run chart or do you think I could should explain it a bit more? I, I'm certainly familiar with run charts, but I know that certainly I've come across people who are not particularly familiar with how to do them or what they are exactly. We just see the lovely graph and, you know, yeah. something, a point goes down and then something happens and point goes up again. 
they're also frequently abused. So maybe I'll just take like two minutes just to explain it. Um, they're always drawn, uh, time running along the x-axis and the thing you're measuring going up the y-axis. And there's a, a median line drawn through the middle of all your data points. With the knowledge that without some great change, the data points will continue to hover around that median line into the future, sometimes above, sometimes below. But we say there's the, that's a variation around that um, value over time. And it's kind of, I'm loath to say random, but it is kind of random in that you can't predict it, but it doesn't deviate too far from the median. Now, if you try a new idea with your team, you think a change to portering route will improve the time a swab takes to come back from the lab, you would continue to measure throughout your test of change and observe any change in the pattern of dots on your run chart that might signal that something is either random, didn't make any difference at all, or something non-random might be happening. Now, there are special rules that then apply to a run chart that lets you be more confident about whether that change is uh, real or whether it's just something, uh, an artifact within the, the variation that you see. Um, and in quality improvement, it's, it's just as interesting to see an intervention that has like no effect as one that has led to an improvement. I often see run charts that have like um, a target line on them. And you're just like, well, you're not really learning then, are you? If, you've, if you just think the only way is up, you're missing a whole bunch of learning there. Um, be really interested when your idea, your hypo hypothesis or your intervention fails because that has revealed something that you presumed about the system that you're trying to change that uh, did not turn out to be the case. Um, and when, when we don't understand what's going on within a system, it's very hard to actually design something that's sensible. So it helps narrow down interventions and importantly helps break down those assumptions and biases that might be preventing a project going on. And I guess when you were talking earlier about common pitfalls and that kind of new energy, I think a lot of the time, and certainly it frustrates me, every new plan, every new QI project always seems to come with a new form or a new sticker that I'm still in. Yeah. How do we prevent that just being the answer to everything is new stickers? Uh, it's, it's so tricky. I, I try my best to bite my lip because ultimately people are trying to engage in improvement in a way that is um, well-intentioned with focus about what they're trying to achieve, but the, the kind of um, repertoire of interventions that they are aware of that work or don't work and have experience of is very narrow at the beginning and what you tend to think of is that gut reaction of I will just try and compel people to use this new mechanism by way of a checklist or a sticker or a poster um, and you know it's it's fine I'm not against it in principle because there has to be an early um, articulation of what it is that you think excellent looks like and what your intervention that you want to do it and that is a reasonable way of doing it but that cannot be the end result it's this it's the equivalent of um you know the memo being circulated around the department or that kind of thing it, it, it might have a transient um moment where it, it sticks but then after that I mean, God knows what the half-life of looking at a poster on the wall is before it, you're blind to it but I promise you um, if you work in the same environment 
um, for more than a week, you'll not see it anymore. So the intervention has lost its effect. It, it's not to be nihilistic about it because the truth is there is no simple solutions to complex problems. And we're, we're definitely working in a system that is full of complex problems. And you, you need to let go of what um, pre-established ideas of what you think is going to work before the time are and start listening to the people who are going to be acting in it and enacting the improvement inter intervention that you want to uh, see. There the people will tell you uh, what's going to work, what's going to stick, what aspect of their everyday work that can be changed that will uh, fundamentally change the outcome for, for the patient. So not against it. And to be honest with you, it's a reasonable way of, uh, you know, concentrating people's attention for a moment in time. It's also an easy way to get a poster, by the way. So um, uh, by all means, crack on. But that, do not think that um, improvement stops there, because if you do, you'll be find that it's a constant disappointment. And you might have moved on to the next place before you realise that the momentum and energy that sustained the project um, when you were there is lost when the next person doesn't have the same uh, priority as you. I guess that's one thing that I've always found with my quality improvement projects when I've it, when I've moved on or when something's failed and the intervention hasn't worked, I often get discouraged or when I move on, everything seems to fall apart. What do you do when a quality improvement project does fail or you kind of have those setbacks how do you how do you either resurrect or use that as learning yeah um oh man it's a horrible feeling because by nature of how you have to go about improvement the time you have to spend making relationships and listening and drafting and testing when things don't go wrong it is painful but if you remember those first questions of making sure it's important to the people that are trying to do it and it's urgent and it means something to the patient at the end of the day that bit never shifts it's just the intervention that failed not the concept of what you're trying to achieve so don't be disheartened interventions are supposed to fail uh, and even if you did the same thing that worked over time the ground underneath you will change. So you'll have to reinvent it and continuously pursue improvement. That is the, that is a methodology. It's an approach. It's not a one-off project. So I think first it would be reframing what a failed project actually means. I think one of the ways you can protect yourself against it is being like, don't approach these things solo. A lot of people think feel very passionate about a topic but I promise you, if you go at it solo, if you're the primary source of energy and drive, it does not smack of sustainability to me. That sounds like something that you'll either burn out or the nature of our jobs mean that um, you'll, be, you'll have your energy redirected uh, to someone else's priority pretty soon. And it can be really deflating, but it's never a dead loss. Uh, because remember, even if things do radically change and that project is shuttered for a long time, you've developed some relationships and some experience and you have contributed to a culture of speaking to each other and coming up with um, ideas together. And honestly, that is the foundation for the next thing that comes up, the next crisis. Um, and I don't think there is, you, you can really say that that is not time well invested.
I guess listening to you speak about it, it's most, it's, I, I tend to think of QI as mostly data and charts, but what you're saying is it's all about people and their working lives and what they're interested in more than the numbers that we get at the end. It is totally about people. And as a kind of introvert and slightly antisocial person, that's a um, that's a work in progress for me. I'm a, I'm a data obsessive. I, I love data and design and complexity and systems. But if I was to be honest, the real uh, kind of active arm of improvement, the thing that actually makes a difference is through relationships and everyday work. It really that is more than anything else. And to some extent, you've got to then not be snobby about what improvement it is and whether you really need to be trained in all aspects of improvement to actually make a successful project. Because I think the answer to that is no, you don't. As long as you're someone who is good at developing relationships within diverse teams, you will probably have a successful team. Improvement, however, brings that objectivity, the kind of science element lets you have more successes than failures and kind of preps your team to understand and reflect on the data that they get back in a way that might um, give them answers much earlier than just waiting for experience to tell them. And if anyone listening wants to learn a bit more about quality improvement or go a wee bit more in depth, is there anywhere that would be good for them to look at look at or yes i'm almost certain no matter where you are you're never more than 20 yards away from a quality improvement person uh, but they're often quite difficult to find because they're not an essential part of most of our board and organizational structures yet they're still seen as uh, a kind of added value but not an essential component so trying to track them down may not be obvious but it might be it might be called clinical effectiveness or the quality team or the intervention team or something like that, um, but there'll be someone nearby. You can start by going on to the uh, NHS Education for Scotland website and kind of through Turas, there's um, modules there in quality improvement, which are excellent. Um, and also, if you're really interested, you can go on to do the kind of national programs of training and improvement. And there's multiple levels to that from foundation all the way up to kind of fellowship levels of uh, of, of training um, and you can do that pretty much from anywhere within your senior training years onwards so um, it's it's a way forward it's a totally way forward I think and as I think it's recognized within undergraduate and postgraduate training now to be a, a key skill so get on and do it early so you're, you're not falling behind when you find the trainees coming up behind you or talking about a different language. That's been fantastic. Thank you so much for chatting and agreeing to be on this. No problem, Dina. Always a pleasure.